If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. This episode of Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts with courses in game, sound, radio, screen, communications, and journalism. There's an extensive range of top quality fields to propel yourself into a future career. And you can mix and match if you want to do a little bit of here and a little bit of that. Mix them all together in some sort of crazy educational soup of some variety. It's an educational soup, that's right. Uh, It's never too late to... uh, Get in, uh, involved and improve your skill set. You can search for Murdoch University for more information to start down the road of knowledge. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. This week, as most weeks, I'm joined by my co-hosts Mitch and Scott. My name, of course, being Gianni, uh, and uh, our guest tonight is Christy Dina, who's joining us from the eastern coast, from another part of Australia. Christy, thanks for joining us today, and we're going to be talking all about the online event that you've organised, which is now available for people to watch online and learn from uh, Crafting Intangibles. Yes, it's great to be here. Hello, Gianni, Mitch and Scott. Hello, hello. Hey. (laughs) And we're going to be learning all about that, but we're also going to be learning about some other stuff and some topics that we are coming back to that we ran out of time for last week, aren't we, Mitch? Yes, we'll be looking at a topic that we didn't quite cover. Are retro remakes taking away incentive from developers to develop new game IPs? Or is it making the sales uh, of two publishers more difficult? Yeah. Yes, and lastly, we'll be looking into whether indie games are being underpriced. That's a good question. Mm. We've got some, got some data there, I'm sure. Oh, a few. Let's jump into <laughs> it, shall we? <laughs> Pixel Sift. <laughs> Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel Sift. So there are just so many re-releases and remasters just out. Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare Remastered, StarCraft recently got the treatment. Um, so with the commercial success of all these games, uh, is there now a lack of incentive for, incentive for publishers to take a gamble on new IPs? So Crash Bandicoot was at the top of the Australian charts for a number of weeks. The global charts. Global charts. Even, it's just taken the world by storm. Uh, Modern Warfare uh, Remastered was originally sort of an add-on, a pre-order bonus for people who bought the most recent new game in the series. Um, but then as it was sort of released on its own... kind and of And out- also, uh, while the proper release kind of flopped. Yeah, so it kind of outstripped that and became more, more popular. I Star think I'm Craft- the only person that has Infinite Warfare without the Modern Warfare remake. You're probably it, about the only person. And it's person. sitting there in my achievements list going, looking at it just like, oh, <laughs> there 
There it is. <laughs> well, somebody had to buy it. So yeah. as, as long as you're doing Good your bit, you, James, Mitch. Uh, Mitch. Um, <laughs> and also, yeah, of course, StarCraft, which has been uh, obviously very popular over its entire lifespan, mm-hmm. but now has received a, a, a remake, a re-update, you know, a shining at the edges of, of the game there. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk about is kind of the, the talking about building into um, – existing IPs and structures and and Christy would love to pull on your experience here to talk about building into worlds that already exist and some of the challenges of, of writing for those and also like if you think that this is something that's going to disincentivize uh, companies to take a risk on on new ideas are they gee I mean when you look at it from a business point of view you know from an, a purely economics point of view it does make sense to remaster you know whether it's games movies um, but you have to remember that it um, you know there is a cost involved so obviously it's not a it's not a quick and easy free thing it's cost involved and, and there's time involved so you have to decide whether you know the investment is worth it and that's and that's partly looking at you know how much time has gone by and sort of reading the cultural landscape if you like um, to see what's happening and um, and of course you know just just with uh, franchises the whole the whole philosophy of franchises is that you are um, working off something that audiences you know and players already know uh, and that's all based on the idea of um, the mere exposure effect uh, you know which is a, a principle that the more you're exposed to something the more you like it um, and so audiences you know players and, and everyone is just like oh you know we've we've got people that um, that like it just because of exposure but also because of personal experience with it um, and that's the reason why we see sequels and um, and also you know remasters come into that as well but it's only one source of income um, it would it would be a mistake to think that a company could survive just on remasters they have to continuously use lots of different things different sources of income just like indies need to um to yeah to basically you know balance their income and things like remastering and working on franchises help bankroll experimental stuff do you think there's an opportunity there for you know as you talk about it there's people who are looking for new opportunities and trying to find i guess the next franchise that they could turn into a big multi-platform multi-game sort of thing or multi-media sort of thing uh, do you think there is an opportunity there for for people to 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 take advantage of that and and do you think that's an indie thing or is this going to be more of the established market players that we're kind of talking more about well I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly people can can have a good bat at it. They can they can definitely have a go. And you know, there's lots of discussions about how you do that, um, and the discussions about well, you know, you create characters and settings which could actually be really interesting in lots of different media forms. Um, so, for instance, you know, just like in TV, when you have a TV series. Um, you design it so there's lots of different um, characters that are continually coming in or lots of different settings that you're, you're going to to make it interesting uh, and they're more likely to have life over, over time. Those same sort of principles sort of apply uh, but uh, sort of happen even further. It's like could it be something that people want to interact with or maybe um, experience in a different mode? Is it something they're willing to watch? Is it something they're willing, they're really interested in reading? And if you think about that from the very beginning, um, 
that means that you're you're it's quite complex and yeah you're basically you're structuring your world and the principles of your world your characters and the actions that happen with all of these these things in mind so that's one approach of of having a go at that and i think um it, anyone can possibly do that in terms of the conception side of things um, but the thing is it takes time and it takes awareness and sort of experience of the platforms and as indies um, sometimes you've got time and sometimes you haven't and that time is usually between other things you know so there's you know how much can you actually work on it and how much have have indies worked in lots of different um, platforms and know you know um, how you can create something that will work on different platforms. Those are the, some of the obstacles, I think, um, that are there for indies. But the, the, the fact is that someone can put something out and, and even if they didn't design it to be multi-platform, if, it's, if it goes well, if it's popular, then, of course, they can expand it. You talked a little bit about kind of, you know, building this world out and, and taking the ideas of it and thinking about it as sort of a, a broader thing as you start from that. I was watching uh, one of the, the talks that uh, Chris Avalone gave at Crafting Intangibles. He's the writer of <laughs> Fallout and stuff. And one of the big things he talked about, and especially when writing for a franchise and writing for uh, something that's already existing, is he said yeah. that you actually need to kind of sometimes hold back on that. You know, you need to kind of think about that, but you also need to think about the context of what that franchise is. And I'm thinking because for for an indie context, there are a lot of games that have been really popular that have kind of drawn upon existing franchises but taken that in a different direction. So the one that pops into my head is Stardew Valley, um, which draws upon that sort of um, Harvest Moon-style farming game. Farmville did something very similar. Do you think that's a valuable uh, thing for indies to kind of uh, think about, to, to maybe use the influences of these, uh, these, these games that exist, these franchises that exist, and kind of taking and putting their own spin on that, that style of, of writing or that style of gameplay? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's more work in, in that approach. Um, you know, there will always be existing um, franchises in and out of copyright, you know, that, um, that, that indies um, or that, you know, any, any, um, any tier, you know, any, any um, developer um, can actually work in. There's, um, there's two different skill sets. You know, it's great if you have both, um, but yeah, in transmedia we, we call it um, proactive or retroactive transmedia. Um, so proactive, you're designing it to be transmedia from the beginning. Retroactive, you know, you're sort of you're making it transmedia afterwards. Um, and those skill sets, you know, like what Chris was touching on, is about um, identifying what was it about the previous projects that came out, the previous games, the previous movies, books, whatever, that resonated with people so much. Um, and how much, you know, what are those core principles? What are the things that we can't play with? Um, to ensure that we're not uh, ruining you know, the experience for the pleasures that people are getting from it. Um, and once you sort of, the idea is that once you sort of lock in those, then then you can move around um, by adding adding new things outside of that. I think a really good example uh, along exactly what you're saying there is uh, as a new franchise or a newish franchise is anyway, uh, is Overwatch. 
um, you know, that's transmedia, as I, as I understand it anyway. <laughs> Correct me if I am yeah. wrong. Uh, but, you know, it, what has made it so popular is the, the rich backstories that they've given and all the videos and, the, and the, the extra content that they've created on different forms of media that has made it yeah. kind of like the standout franchise of the last few years at, at least. Yes, yes, definitely. You know, all of those um, animation videos, you know, like, you know the, the comics, everything that they've been playing with there. And they've been, and it's been character-based, which is really interesting because a lot of people talk about worlds. You know, you've got to design a world and, and often they're actually, you know, they're talking about the setting and the fact that there's lots of different locations. But a lot of the reason why, you know, people are attracted to to these sorts of uh, experiences is because of the characters and you, and because of yourself as a player, what you do and how you feel um, and your interactions with the characters. So, and what the characters say about you in their journeys yeah. and their experiences. Could, could remakes and remasters be an opportunity to maybe foster or incubate new talent in the development community? As in um, get people to, to work on them. Yeah, as, uh, in like, as a way to learn. Yeah. yeah, I can think of a really good example of this. The um, the new uh, game that's just come out, which is uh, an in- installment in a franchise long running, Sonic Mania, which has just come out this week, uh, was originally done uh, by a-, a team that had kind of grown grown up with the franchise, weren't originally linked, and now it's one of the most uh, highly received Sonic games that's come out. They've drawn on the franchise that people love, um, mm. you know, and made it a game that uh, fits in well and is a sort of a worthy successor to where that franchise was going. And Sonic was something that's been around for a long time, but I guess for a lot of people would think it probably had been sort of languishing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then goes on to be this really popular game and mm-hmm. you know, ticks all the boxes. So Christy, what do you think about remakes and remasters? How do you personally feel about the idea of, of that sort of thing happening? Yeah. Oh, just as a, yeah, yeah, certainly developers can learn, you know, through working on these sorts of things. And, and when you add the writing Writing and design level, mm. you know, you have to have a whole lot of skills uh, to do that. So I don't think you'd be learning necessarily, although you could, you could as an indie, obviously. Mm. Um, but I just want to mention, you know, quickly when you, you, you sort of, you know, it's it's really easy to frame this idea of doing a whole lot of things across platforms as being something that only big bis- businesses can do. Uh, but I'm seeing so many indies, um, you know playing with this and doing really interesting stuff. They're not calling it transmedia, of course, and they don't need to. Um, but, um, but they're doing really interesting stuff. Now, my, the, the name of him has gone out of my head, Perth Dev. Um, Jacob Janurka? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just sneezed yeah. now. And he, knows, he knows they're talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, the stuff that he did uh, with his game, you know, that, that came out of a genuine... Um, you know, it was quite genuine. It, it worked within his world, you know, creating all of these uh, weird materials, you know, the, the cult website, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the religious Bible, um, you know, the dating simulator game and all that sort of stuff. It, it was all about indie marketing, but it was all diegetic. It was all in fiction, you know, content marketing. Um, and that's just an example of an indie. Um, there was a, uh, a really cool... Uh, what they call it, the indie indie game um, science fair. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, that was at a few a few uh, years ago by Polygon, um, and they basically commissioned a whole lot of indie devs to do a whole lot of creative stuff 
uh, around their projects. And that's basically all transmedia, you know, and they're all really, really interesting stuff. So I just wanted to, you know, mention that because it's really easy to sort of think that it's something that only big, the big guns, you know, the big companies can do. And so, and now I've forgotten your question. <laughs> I forgot uh, my question too. It's it's all good. Yeah. Look, uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh, that we could talk about with remakes and remasters. Um, I, I just wanted to sort of see what you felt about it personally as someone who oh, creates yeah. a bunch of, of new things. Um, how do you feel about uh, these remakes and remasters kind of coming up and, and getting a lot of attention? Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, – the, the conversation always comes around, you know, to, oh, this is this is going to spell trouble and the problem with too many sequels, as, you know, as well as um, um, remastering and all that sort of stuff. But uh, it won't be the only thing, you know. That's that's an impossibility. Um, and there is the good side of it is that in terms of audiences, uh, these are projects these are game worlds these are you know these are games um that people want to actually spend time with and these businesses are doing the money do putting their money into preservation which you know is not is not happening you know in, in lots of different ways you know it's a it's making sure you know that that some games um that you know aren't as easily played you know can can now be accessible again um and obviously you know, jazzing them up, um, you know, contemporary tech and all of that sort of thing. But there's, you know, there's a there's a genuine audience drive there for wanting to do that. Um, and you know, obviously, it's based on nostalgia and reliving positive things. But in terms of the point of view of audience access, I see, you know, no no problem with that. Um, but it's just we all know the under underlying problem is that so many companies um, are purely thinking about money which is which is fine but they don't realize that culture is actually a part of your um economics you know like if if they just did what they thought uh was a safe bet financially then people would lose interest in gaming in general there needs to be weird stuff you know, there needs to be uh, new stuff as well. And as soon as you understand that there's uh, a whole lot of different parts of your game ecology that are bouncing off each other, um, then you realise it makes good economic sense to to actually be playing with uh, a few different things there. I think this is something you could say of just about anything creative where there is business involved. Yeah. Um, you know, mm. music, you can talk about movies, we've talked about TV shows and all of that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, there is always that balance between doing something that's interesting and also something that is, I guess, Pushing uh, boundaries. mainstream, you know, that yeah. you have a mass market for. Uh, let's jump into our next topic, shall we? Did you know Pixel Ziv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Ziv website. Now, if you just tuned in, which won't make any sense if you're listening to this as a podcast, but you might be watching us live. Um, <laughs> I, I guess could have skipped at this point. It'd be okay to about 17 minutes in. Uh, <laughs> I just, guess just skipped up. Just skipped up to the point. Our guest today is Christy Dina. Uh, Christy is a writer, yep. designer, and director. Uh, Universe Creation 101 is her company. And the mastermind, is that fair to say, of crafting intangibles? <laughs> yeah. I guess the, Im- the imagery was kind of... Wizardy, witchy. Yeah. So, yeah, I 
guess the magician, chief wizard or uh, something. magical <laughs> denizen of crafting intangibles. Uh, it looks like you've just in your picture you've like made that plaque. You just like conjured it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I did. I had to get it. I actually had to pay to get it made. So. <laughs> oh, same difference. Awesome. It's a very slow yeah. form of magic, transferring exactly. of, of good. It's a transferal of one material good into another. Yeah. Um, there were no stars or purpley misbits or anything like that. Yeah. Now, for, for people who haven't heard about the event that you've put on, which is now available for people to uh, take part in online and, and, and learn from, what exactly is it and, and what were you trying to achieve? Yeah, so Crafting Intangibles, uh, is, you know, it was an international online indie conference that was uh, specifically looking at interactive narrative design um, and so there was a, a few goals one to do with the subject matter of interactive narrative design and the other one in terms of the experiment of the format um, so in terms of interactive narrative design I think for me I started off you know I used to make uh, make games um, as a kid more than play games um, and you know I was writing more for theatre and I was working in digital effects uh, and I started working on websites and CD-ROMs um, in the 1990s. But And so writing for me started, I guess, you know, in a linear, passive, you know, non-interactive mode. Um, and then and I started learning more about interactivity and then, you know, more about game design specifically. Um, the thing I noticed was that there's actually a lot of parallels <laughs> with how, you know, systems thinking um, and thinking as a game designer and um, and thinking um, when you're actually designing the architecture of a narrative. Um, and so I found that there's a lot of conversations um, that happen, and especially in education, you know, teaching new generations of, um, of developers where they sort of say, okay, these two things are completely different. Um, and when you're, you know, when they talk about um, narrative or story in games, they say, oh, okay, so it's about um, dialogue and choices um, and, um, you know, and, and let's use the hero's journey because that seems to be popular, mm. you know, from film. Um, and, and it sort of stops there. And obviously, you know, people who are working in the area um, understand more of it. But, yeah, I wanted to push it further than that. So interactive narrative design. Sorry, did you want to say something? I was going to say, you, I, one of the talks that you, you, uh, were, you hosted was uh, with uh, Ellen Urich of Blowfish Studios, friend of the show. And you were just uh, name-dropping this whole episode. Look at all these time. cool people that I there's know. This, there's this really cool... <laughs> Uh, online thing called Crafting Intangibles. You should definitely check it out. <laughs> it's a really great video <laughs> section. Over yeah. the last yeah. uh, couple of days. Um, but Ellen was talking about this kind of crossover as well and talking about how, uh, from her experience uh, as uh, doing theatre and, and when we had her on the show, she spoke to this as well um, and talking about this this overlap between and these compatible fields and that and one of the main things she was talking about is that in some of the choices that you are given in a game, they are often given, but the intent can be interpreted differently by the people who are writing the uh, the, the game, um, and they and then what it actually comes out. And you know, one of the they were talking about trying to find parallel systems. Tex Murphy was one of the ones that came up, and you could say a particular thing, but you say it as you know in a sarcastic way or in a happy way or an honest way, and and having those verbs around what that actually meant um, when you're actually writing that uh, that dialogue. Uh, it's a sort of a long-winded way to say that, but what are some of the things you think are, are super key when, when people are trying to write or, or learn about writing for an interactive context versus writing for, say, a stage play? 
you see, and this is this is actually getting to the crux of one of the reasons why I did this is because I think um, I know it's really helpful to sort of say uh, what are the differences, um, but I think what I've seen over the years is that you know a lot of the conversations go to what are the differences, and people start thinking that they are different when in actual fact um, a lot of um, the only way that you can really make great stuff is when you're also working in the stuff that overlaps, right? So there's definitely differences. Um, but if you throw out, you know, everything else that's been before, then, um, you know, then, then that will cause problems. So so for me, it's, it's a case of, um, you know, okay, we, we talk about differences. You need to understand that there is, um, that a player is a character that you need to design for. So you need to pl uh, plan for, um, you need to design for the player journey. Um, but this is already in in the best screenwriting as well. They're thinking the whole time um, about what the audience is thinking and feeling um, at that point in time. It's called the sequence technique. Mm. And so and so this is where, like, for me, I sort of, you know, fall into the thing of, like, yes, there's differences, um, but when you really get down to the crux of it, um, when when people are doing great stuff in any of them, um, that's when that's when we all sort of um, overlap. Is it fair to say it's more of a difference in execution of the actual same core ideas? Well, I mean, one of the great, you know, one of the, I mean, you know, all of these art forms are influencing each other, not just in terms of, you know, what we experience. Like, you know, we can sit down and, you know, watch a watch a movie on Netflix as well as play a game. So we're all influenced by what we're doing. Um, but then as, as creators, we're being influenced by, by what um, creators are doing in, in different media. And one of the great things about games is, you know, that very much um, player-centric development cycle. You know, whereas in in other media, it's pretty much you're um, you're in the cave you know, for a really long time, um, and then you know maybe focus groups will happen right at the end. Um, but what's great, you know, about you know designing for games is that you're wanting to get it in front of players as early as possible, um, and that's very different. Um, different way of thinking about the process um, and and thinking about you know what privileging what you care about is the effect on people and whether you know those that meaning is actually happening um so yeah that's so something there one of the things that we always like to to talk about and we find particularly fascinating is the sort of emergent uh player experiential driven narratives that happen in a game um yeah do you know of other mediums where, where people can have that same sort of experience is that something that you think is unique to games or, or or is there something that we could think that yeah that is the same sort of idea that people can build something out within a structure yeah so do you mean um when um uh, players um are thinking you know experiencing their own personal narrative as they're going through it or like procedural I think, I think more like, uh, say, for example, Minecraft is the one that pops into my head, that you would go and tell the story of what you've done in Minecraft, in the early days at least, um, and that would be the narrative of what you've done or, uh, or something similar where the, the kind of the framework is there, um, but you're there to make your own story. Yeah, where you basically got, got pieces um, and it's up to you. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's um, um, – well, I mean, yeah, there's um, – Tabletop examples, but that's still gaming in there. Um, there's um, the cut up 
technique, you know, the early sort of experimental uh, writing techniques where basically they would, instead of giving you a book with a whole lot of words in it, they would jumble up uh, all of the words out of, out of, out of order, um, sentences out of order and all that sort of stuff, and you had to um, combine them yourself to basically create, create something that actually worked. So they're sort of early experiments, cut up techniques, and they're, they're ones were even earlier than that. So anything where people are, um, you know, splitting things apart, there's probably um, parallels there. You know, and, and I don't want to undermine, you know, what's what's uh, special and wonderful um, about about games at all. Um, I'm just, yeah, just basically saying that there are, I think, when, yeah, that that. If you want to make something great that um, I've often found talking with creatives across fields who are doing uh, amazing stuff in their area, they've often reached the same epiphanies and insights, you know, that's happened across, across them. Is that was, was that one of the main sort of uh, ideas behind doing Crafting Intangibles? Is that bringing a bunch of different creatives together and, and, and allowing people to, to learn from their experience and their insights? Yeah, and um, and to sort of stretch um, the idea of um, structures, um, you know. So we we don't um, privilege the the sort of dialogue sort of side of things, which comes later on in your development process. It's more like the really early days where you're thinking, okay, um, what's going to be the first level, <laughs> you know, and then the second level and the third level. Um, what is the player going to go through? What do we want them to be thinking and, and feeling and, and doing here? Uh, what they want to do next? You know, all that sort of stuff. And you're seeing, um, you know, Jen Genova and he's talking about journey and you know, his GDC talk. You know, he talks about the emotion design of journey and how that actual works. Um, and so we're sort of interrogating those structures and looking at them and say, okay, well, what, how can we? What do the what do these structures look like? Um, for interactivity, um, and what you know are there differences, and um, and at the same time, what are different structures that are not about conflict or about a single hero? Mm. You know, how do you have multiple people actually being involved um, and and actually doing things which are not about um, causing harm to other people? Uh, but it's still actually interesting. And so they're, they're exploring these sorts of topics. Yeah. yeah, and I think India is the place where these uh, games are kind of thriving. I just, off, again, off the top of my head while you were talking, I was thinking of um, experiences I've had in the last 12 months with games. Uh, Emily is Away was fantastic, I think, for me. Yeah. Um, Firewatch, and, you know, everything kind of in that. Ilk. I mean, even if we're stepping out of India a little bit, um, you know, Life is Strange is probably another one. Mm. Um Everyone has gone to the rapture. It's the same ones we kind of pop off because they are special. There's something uh, amazing about that that not a lot of other people are doing. I, yeah. think, you, I think you should just jump yeah. into itch.io and just kind of click <laughs> random basically and see what you can find because there's yeah. a lot of really but, interesting creative stuff there. Yep. Yeah, and but all of those are, you know, like most of those are ex AAA going yeah, out yeah, there yeah. and going, okay, finally, you know, uh, which is which is a normal path, you know. Yeah. Well, look, which uh, is a common path. Sorry, that's, I shouldn't say normal. Yeah. Christy, <laughs> if people want to find out more about and watch the, the videos that were put together as part of this thing, um, how many did you make and, and where's the best place for, for people to, to go to? Um, so, yeah, if you, if you type in craftingintangibles.co, uh, that will take you to the site. It's on Medium. Um, there's 
Gosh. Good research, Chrissy. I think there's 15 um, <laughs> uh, videos there. There's more coming. Um, yeah, there's a, a couple more coming because we had some uh, live talks uh, over here in Brisbane. Um, but they're all on Vimeo as well. So if you go to the website, you can. they're all embedded on the website, but they're also um, all on um, Vimeo there. Um, and, yeah, fr- freely available for everyone to use. And all very interesting. I enjoyed watching them. I'm going to go dig through the rest of them and see if I can find any more good gems. Uh, look, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I just want to say a big thank you to Murdoch University School of Arts who sponsor this show and help us uh, make it happen. Uh, Scott, we've got older episodes, do we not? Yes, you can find those on facebook.com forward slash pixel sift, twitter.com forward slash pixel sift, twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift and youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au and... We are now officially going live on uh, twi- said Twitch YouTube and now Facebook Live channels. So big shout outs if you've been watching in on one of those. And Mitch, uh, if people want to find out when we're going to be going live, where should they head to? Yeah, so they can um, they can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and they can find out pretty much we're on everything, Twitter, <laughs> all that stuff. Pocket Cast, RSS yeah. link on your page, etc., yep. etc. Everywhere, you all that stuff. Be. And our next episode will be on the thirty first. That's right. Uh, Christy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to be digging into the rest of Crafting Intangibles, and I recommend everyone do the same thing. Uh, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, coming along. Oh, my pleasure. Thank so you very speak. much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see everyone on the 31st. Peace out. See ya. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.